So last week, if you were here, we celebrated our five-year anniversary as a church. And it was a really, really special morning just to be together, to look back at what God has done. And I think we really praised Jesus well. I think Nate and the band led us incredibly in just singing songs of praise to celebrate and thank Him. And we had five members of our church get up here and just share something of their story, of how they had been impacted by the gospel, how they had met Jesus and grown in their faith and taken next steps in following him. So it was a really, really special morning for us. But if you can remember to the week before that, we've been in the book of Ephesians. We've been going through that together. Now, last time when I spoke, we were at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. I spoke, my my sermon was titled Old Self versus New Self. And Dave Pons isn't here today, but I bumped into him during the week and he said, Grant, great message on fashion on Sunday. Thank you so so much. And it's true. That's exactly what Paul was speaking about. He was speaking about uh, what are you wearing? Are you wearing Christ or are you wearing sin? You know, you're going to take off your old self and put on the new self, the new identity you've got in Christ. What are you going to wear? Who are you? Who are you becoming? What life are you living? Who are you going to be? So this morning, we're not going to carry on with the idea of fashion at all, but we're going to carry on with something equally interesting. We're going to talk about long distance walking this morning. So I know many of you are really into that. And I'm not joking. I know many of you are. because a whole lot of you on your watches or on your phones have got some kind of pedometer. And at the end of every day, or maybe during the day, you're checking. How many steps have I done? You know, have I broken 10,000 yet? I know who here is trying to do like that 10,000 challenge and break it. Oh, we've got one, two, three. I don't believe, I know there's more of you because some of you are getting points back from Discovery Vitality or another medical aid if you do a certain number of steps. And really what Paul is going to speak to us about today is the number of steps we do, long distance endurance, hardcore walking. But what Paul is going to say to us out of Ephesians 5 is it's not about the quantity of steps that you take, but when it comes to the faith, it's about the quality of the steps you take. So he's going to help us to follow Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, in terms of Ephesians 5, we're going to read verse 1 to 21 together and then see what Paul has got to say. It will also come up on the screen just behind me. Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're going to look at this quite a bit this morning. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the word of the Lord. And that first verse there, Ephesians 5 verse 1, is crazily important in the story of the book of Ephesians. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And one of the things I think most of you have absorbed by now is whenever there is a therefore, we need to look backwards, you know, kind of the cheesy, cliched pastor thing, which I shouldn't say, but I'm going to say anyway. So whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for, you know, and you look back. That's the whole purpose of that word. I know it's lame. I probably said it so many times, but it's stuck in my head because it's helpful, you know. So we're looking back from that word to the four chapters that have come before. The first three, where Paul has laid down this theology of who we are in Christ. He's taught us this amazing teaching about what Jesus has done for us and now the position we have in Christ. All of these words that we've spoken about. Beloved, forgiven, redeemed, holy and blameless, chosen, adopted as sons and daughters and sealed with the Holy Spirit. That has been your identity in Christ. And then in chapter 4 that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, he starts to tell us how to live out our identity, what we should do as sons and daughters of God. That's what he's been speaking about. And now here in chapter 5 verse 1, we get to these words, Therefore, in light of all that's gone before, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Those seven words are the book of Ephesians in a nutshell. They're probably the key verse in this whole book, and it is the summary of the book, because we see the first two halves, half one and half two. The first part, identity, who you are, beloved children in Christ. That's who you are. And then your activity. What do you do now? You imitate God. That's what we're meant to do. And Paul really wants to labor this one point. He's saying to you, if you are here today and you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in Christ, whatever term you want to use, if that's you... You are a beloved child of God. Do you believe that today? I'm not going to do like a raise hands thing this morning. Who believes that? Who doesn't believe that? But do you believe that you are loved by God? Not just know, but do you believe it? Do you feel it? Do you experience it? Do you think God likes you? Now answer that question for yourself because it's easy to just let those ideas like rumble around in our brains. But what do you believe personally? Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe God likes you? And after going all this way through the book of Ephesians, it's easy for us to know that Paul thinks we should believe that. But if that hasn't translated from something that we know to something that we've experienced and that's real in our hearts and something that every morning as we wake up, we experience and live out of, we feel as we get out of bed, as we look in the mirror, then actually we're not going to live out this identity that we have in Christ. Paul is saying that if you are in Christ here today, firstly, you are a son or a daughter of God. And secondly, he loves you. Now, Satan doesn't want you to believe those things. We don't talk about Satan a ton in this church, but he's real. And he doesn't mind you knowing those things, but he would hate you to believe those things, to feel and experience those things. He would love you to come here every single week, but doubt whether God loves you or whether you're his son or daughter. He'd love you to think maybe these other nice people in the church are, but not me. You don't know my past, my story, my sin, my mistakes, my failures, what people have done to me. I'm not loved by God or liked by God. I'm not a son or daughter of God. 
Satan would love you to keep living in that lie, to live deceived, because it will stop you from living out who God has made you to be. It will stop you from living a life of significance for him. Satan wants you to be defeated, and he wants you to be disqualified. He doesn't want you to be empowered to be who God has made you to be. And here we see Paul is trying to labor this point so it gets into our heart. One of the songs we've often sung here as a church, I think we've stopped for a while because we're maybe on the line of killing it, is, do you guys want to guess? Good, good father. Brendan knew. I didn't tell him this before. This wasn't fed to him. Good, good father. One of the great all-time Christian songs, you know. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. This is like almost something based out of Ephesians 5 verse 1. You know, this is what Paul is saying of us. This is who he is. This is who you are. But do you believe that? Are you living in light of that truth? Or is it just something you know, something you were taught in Sunday school, you've heard here before? Or are you living in that reality? Because you are a child of God if you're in Christ. And you are loved by him. But what does it mean for us now as beloved children to imitate God? What does that look like? The definition of imitate is to take or follow as a model or example. It's to copy. And the Greek word that uh, Paul uses there is this word mimetes, which is where we get the word mimic from, you know? So he wants us to think of this idea of mimicking or copying or imitating God, kind of like a little child with his father or mother. You've seen those moments where like the parents are holding their child up and looking in the face and doing these cute faces and making these noises and the child is kind of responding. That's kind of what Paul is speaking about here, that we would see our father, we'd see what he's like, and we would imitate them. You know that saying, like father, like son? It's kind of what Paul is talking about here. Now, I know not everyone in this room has had a great father-son relationship. Maybe you've never known your father, maybe your father's not a good example. But actually, when Paul speaks here about our heavenly father, he's talking about a perfect father and a perfect example who does love us and who he can follow. I don't know if you've thought about how we are meant to be like our father in heaven. Like when you see a baby with their dad, there is often a genetic resemblance, you know. I like looking at babies and thinking, well, that nose is similar to the dad's or the mom's or the eyes look the same or whatever it is. The ears, they've got those like round cheeks or whatever it is. And there's obviously a genetic resemblance. We had this cool moment this week. Um, Shell's aunt was in the same class as my mom in Zimbabwe 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It's absolutely crazy. They sat at the same desks together. They were little mates back in Harare back in the day. And Shell's aunt sent Shell this picture of her and my mom in the same class photo, probably like in 1959 or something like that. And there's my mom sitting there as a little six-year-old, seven-year-old girl, who looks exactly like my sister looked at that age and exactly like her little daughter looks today. Crazy, you know, that genetic resemblance. But rather than just that, when you grow up in a home with parents, you are shaped by them. You're shaped by their teaching. You're shaped by their values. You're shaped by their character. You're shaped by their mannerisms. Have you ever seen kids imitating something that they've seen their parents do or saying something, good or bad, that they've seen their parents say or do? A lot of my friends uh, are preschool teachers. Well, when I say a lot, I have some preschool teacher friends. It's not a high percentage of people. But they've told me these stories before of being on the playground and the kids are starting to repeat things that their parents have said at home. And sometimes it's horrifying to see what these kids have absorbed and how they're mimicking or imitating their parents, you know. Paul's speaking about us mimicking our Father in heaven. 
And I was thinking about myself growing up, like these moments where I would spend time with my dad and do what my dad did. I remember my dad on Saturday mornings washing the car. He'd take my sister and I out with him. We'd get the chamois or the sponge or whatever, and we'd be polishing his car, which was 0% fun, or fun for a minute. Playing with a hose was really fun, but cleaning the car wasn't. Or I remember playing chess with my dad. And my dad beat me nearly every single time. I remember getting one stalemate with him back in the day and feeling like a champion, you know, because he hadn't beaten me. I remember drinking my dad's beer as a kid, you know. Don't report him for this. But he'd pour his beer and I would want to drink what my dad was drinking. So I'd have like a little sip of his beer and get like the foam on my lip or something like that. Or be in his car and my dad is driving. And I'm like six or five. I'm not like 16, okay, when I say this. And I'd pretend I was driving in the back seat, you know, because you wanted to be like your dad. And that's what Paul is getting at here. We want to be imitators of God, our Father in heaven, as these beautiful, beloved children of him. So what does it look like to imitate him? The message version of Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this, Watch what God does, and then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. What I want to ask you today, because we are all imitating something or someone, is who are you imitating? And Paul's command or charge or challenge to all of us is be imitators of God. Be imitators of the Father in heaven. But what does that mean? What's an example of that? Shal and I were talking about this this week, and we thought of method acting. Don't know, like, is anyone an actor here or done like a bunch of acting, tried the method acting thing? Durban doesn't really have a huge acting scene, but Hannah Nell over there, being in the zone. I'm not going to call you up. This isn't like one of those examples. Method acting is really when actors take techniques or use certain tools to try and get into the headspace or heart space, feel what the character that they are um, acting as would have felt so that they can give a really lifelike representation of their character. And you might think of some of the great actors of all time. Adrian Brody won an Oscar at 29 years of age for his performance in The Pianist. And he got into this incredible method acting space. He even broke up with his long-term girlfriend because he wanted to feel pain and suffering going into this role. Daniel Day-Lewis went through some crazy extents uh, to be uh, the character in The Last of the Mohicans. And for a long time afterwards, he couldn't get back to normal because he'd been so affected. He didn't know how not to be Hawkeye, this character he'd played. But I was looking at Robert De Niro, who is a really interesting actor, and he played um, the role of Travis Bickle in Martin Scorsese's film Taxi Driver. And this character he was playing was someone who was unhinged, overworked, and an insomniac. He was this taxi driver driving around New York. So what Robert De Niro did is he became unhinged, overworked, and an insomniac and learned how to drive a taxi. And when I say that, what I mean is literally, after he got the role, he went and he studied, and he became a cab driver in New York, and he would work these 12-hour-plus long shifts driving people all around New York, so he knew what it was like to be in Travis Bickle's shoes. He wanted to imitate him to become like him. And then when he got a role a few years later in Brian De Palma's kind of gangster movie, The Untouchables, he read everything he could about Al Capone. He wanted to know about this mobster or gangster so that he could get into his headspace so that he could represent him well. And then after he'd read everything he could about Capone, he looked at the pictures and he thought, well, Capone's got a very different jawline to me, so I'm going to need to put on 15 kgs so that I'm going to look more like Al Capone looked. 
during filming, what he did is he made sure that his wardrobe was exactly the same as Al Capone's. Like, they would look at the photos of the things that he wore. He would get those exact same outfits made in exactly the same material. And he actually went and tracked down the tailors who made Capone's outfits so that he would have exactly the same outfits that Capone wore. On top of that, he started smoking Al Capone's brand of cigars. He really wanted to get into his shoes. And when he found out that Al Capone wore silk underpants. He had a tailor make him a number of pairs of silk undies, not because they'd be seen on screen, but because he wanted to feel what it felt like to be Al Capone and literally put himself not in his shoes, but in his undergarments, you know. Those are method undies. Um, So he did all of this to imitate his character. He wanted to be Al Capone. He wanted to represent Al Capone. He wanted to imitate Al Capone and be like him. And I love the discipline and the hard work and the effort and the energy that goes into acting like that. The passion of someone like Robert De Niro to go above and beyond to really get into their character's shoes. But how much more should we, as imitators of God, go to extreme lengths to learn what it looks like to be like him? To imitate him, to be like him, to represent him to the world that we're in. I don't know what the silk underwear level of devotion looks like in Christianity, But that's what I want, you know. I want to go to that level of detail to imitate God and become like him. I want to take those steps. And the reality is, guys, is Robert De Niro didn't just lie there on the couch and say, be El Capone, be El Capone, be El Capone, and become like him. He had to do some stuff. He had to study. He had to do the research. He had to go out and find those tailors. He had to get those silk underpants made. And for us, this is a partnership between us and God. Us imitating him. We can't do it on our own, you know. We need his power. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. We need God who loves us to help us become like him. But on top of that, there's some effort we need to do. We can't be passive in this. We can't just lie on the couch. We need to study. We need to learn. We need to pray. We need to make some changes. We need to make some decisions. We need to stop some things and start some things if we're going to be imitating God. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to say to everyone in this room, if you are a Christian, you need to take responsibility for your own discipleship. You need to take responsibility for your own growth in Jesus, like a Robert De Niro becoming that character. We need to own this and do something about it. What we see here in the second half of the book of Ephesians is that being a Christian isn't just putting on a title. You know, I'm a Christian now. It's not just coming to church or doing certain things. Being a Christian is action. Being a Christian is change. Being a Christian is making certain decisions. As Paul has been speaking about, it's an entirely new life, new identity, new direction, and new way. Now, in South Africa, the country we live in, 76% of people, according to the stats, would take on that title of Christian. I want you to think about that for a second, because our country doesn't look like we would get a B in terms of Christianity, you know. Our country definitely doesn't look as Christianized as it is. We've got to think about that for a sec, because probably a lot of people in our country believe some of the things we do. Maybe they would call themselves a believer because they believe in Jesus, or maybe because they believe in the Bible, or because they believe in moral teaching, or because, I don't know, they've been to church a bunch of times. I'm a believer. I believe some of that Christian stuff. But what Paul is calling us to here is not to just be believers, but to be followers of Jesus. Not just to be believers, but to be doers of the word. He's calling us to live this out, put it into action, to become like Christ. 
And I want you to think out of that 76% of people who take on the label of Christian, how many of them do you think are living out Ephesians 5.1? Who are actively living in the identity, I am a beloved child of God. And secondly, are actively living into imitating God. I think that's the challenge for us today. Are you a child of God? Do you feel that? Do you know that? And are you imitating him? After Paul goes through this intro, one of the things he does after speaking to us about these two huge ideas, this idea of imitating God, is it's almost like he stands at this T-junction. Like everyone's lives are coming down this road and they get to this point where they've got to decide left or right. Which way am I going to go? Which path am I going to take? And Paul is standing there at the end of the T-junction pointing in the one direction, you know. There's a sign at the end and it points one way, the way of Jesus, another way, the way of the world. And Paul's pointing this way. Or like um, maybe those people you've seen outside car dealerships or on TV shows or whatever. He's got a sign, he's spinning it and he's pointing it in that direction, throwing it in the air, trying to get our attention so we know which way to walk as imitators of God. And he speaks in the rest of this chapter about four roads that we should take. It's the way of love, the way of light, the way of wisdom, and the way of the Spirit. And he says, for us as imitators of God, those are the roads that we need to walk down. That's the path that we need to take. So the first one, Ephesians 5.2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We often talk about it here, but Jesus' greatest commandment is to love God and to love neighbor. It's that vertical love and that horizontal love. And when we talk about loving neighbor or the other, it's not just loving people who are like you or people that you like. It's loving everyone. That's the huge challenge of Jesus. And that's not an easy thing to do. That's why Paul needs to tell us to do it. But he calls us to walk in love. Now, if we're going to choose that road, you know, we're going to follow Paul's directing, what would the other direction be? What is the opposite of walking in love? It's not to walk in hate. It's to walk in self-love. It's to walk in selfishness. And this is the challenge of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, will you walk in love and choose the way of selflessness? Say, actually, I'm going to go down this way, which means I'm going to sacrifice and serve others and forgive others when they've hurt me. I'm going to lay down my life for others. And on top of that, when people don't deserve it, I'm going to still do the things that I'm called to, just like Jesus did for me. Because what he says there is we must imitate Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And he didn't do that when we were worthy or when we deserved it. He did it when we were enemies of God, when we were in sin, when we were headed in the other direction, when we were on our own mission, when we were about our own thing. That's when Jesus laid down his life for us. And Paul is saying to us there that God's example of unconditional love is incredible. And it's something that we need to imitate and try and follow him in. And the question today is, which way will you choose? Will you choose the way that Paul is pointing us in? Or will you choose the way of self-love? And the reason that Paul needs to tell us to do this is because we need to be reminded and taught about this often, is that it doesn't come naturally. The way of this unconditional love of God is not natural to us. It's hard. It's sacrificial. It's it's difficult. And we need to be provoked and challenged and reminded often that this is the way we're called to go, that we would again pick up the way of Jesus and go that way. But what Paul says there is as we walk the way of love, as we do some of these things that feel selfless and are harder and cost us something, He says what happens is this fragrant offering goes up to heaven. 
And that God in heaven, while we're doing these things, smells this, I don't know, whiff of perfume, this beautiful scent, whatever it is. But really, as we lay down our lives in this way and choose the way of love, God is worshipped by us. God is pleased with us. There's almost this honor that goes up to him. I just think that's such a beautiful thing. I want to choose the way of love or choose the way that pleases God and be someone who seeks to live a life that can please him in every way. The second thing Paul says is walk in light. Ephesians 5 verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, Paul is doing the same thing he's done the whole way through this book. Your old identity, you were darkness. Your new identity, you are light. And then this command to live in light of our identity. Walk as children of light. And he spells this out for us a little bit. I'm just going to read uh, verse 3 to 4 out of the NIV to you. It says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or a hint of any kind of impurity, or of greed, materialism, consumerism, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And Paul mentions this list here, which he does in a bunch of places, of ways of darkness, ways of our old way of life. And he talks about things that have to do with our bodies, you know, sexual or sensual acts, and things that have got to do with our mouths, the words we speak, impure words, horrible joking, crude, crass things that come out of our mouths. He speaks about things that go on in our minds and things that go on in our hearts. He's speaking about basically every part of life, and that's living contrary to the way he's calling us to live. He's talking about external things, and he's talking about internal things too. And he says that a whole bunch of these are out of place or are improper for us, God's holy people, to do. And Paul is fighting for a pure, holy, righteous church. That's the kind of church he's trying to build. And he was wanting to build in Ephesus, and he wants to build in Durban today. That is the church Jesus is building in Harbor City. And he says there shouldn't even be a hint of any of these sins, sexual immorality, greed, foolish talking, not even a hint. And that word hint there really has got to do with, like when you make a meal, or you go to someone's house for a meal, or you go to a restaurant for a meal, and you taste it, and it's delicious, but there's something you just can't put your finger on. You taste it, and you think, what is that flavor? You know, is that basil? Is that maybe oregano? What is what is that little ingredient in there? Because that hint is actually adding so much, you know. It's making a significant difference. And he's saying to us as followers of Jesus, there shouldn't even be a hint of sin in our lives. Not even a hint. And that means we've got to fight sin. Because for all of us, there's a hint of sin. For some of us, there's much more than a hint. But the reality is sometimes you spend time with someone and you can just tell something is not right here. And Paul's speaking about that. Fight sin and fight for a righteous life. Now the reality is none of us are there. And the church, as much as Jesus is building a holy, righteous church, the church is not just a holy place, it's also a place of restoration. And I want to say, as much as Jesus is calling you to live out his ways here, when you fail and you will fail, when you mess up and you will mess up, this is a place of restoration for you. It's not a place where you hide your sins. It's a place where we bring them into the light. It's not a place where we keep them secret. It's a place where we talk about them, that we can be restored and built up. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a country club for saints. That's what God is wanting to build here in Harbor City. The third thing he says is walk in wisdom. And verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, unwise, but as wise. 
And I've been in church for 20 years now, so I realize that's actually a long time. Some of you, maybe it's been a year or two or five. Some of you, maybe it's even longer than me. But a while ago, there was this saying. People would come up to you and they'd say, how's your walk? How's your walk with the Lord? Anyone remember that? And it seems like maybe you do. Maybe there's a few others in the room. How's your walk with the Lord today? You know, And I think that's kind of, it's not cool anymore. It's a little bit cliched, but I think maybe we should bring it back. Come on, Harbour City, let's bring it back. How's your walk? And really what Paul is saying there is how is your spiritual life? How is your walk with Jesus? Is he the center of you? Or have you drifted a little bit from him? What path are you walking down? I think maybe for some of us, we, we need to have that conversation sometimes. Can we just get a little bit deeper for a second, EXO? Let's stop talking about coffee and series and these things. How's your walk with the Lord? You know, How's things going with Jesus? Maybe you can try that out a little bit later. Maybe it'll still be a little bit too fresh and a little bit awkward. But one of the things Paul says here is that we should look carefully at how we are walking or following Jesus. I want to ask you, when was the last time you looked carefully at your walk with the Lord? When was the last time you thought, how am I doing in all of these things? Not where am I going, but how am I doing in these areas? And I just thought in light of that today, maybe we need to do a bit of a self-audit, you know? Easy to come in here on Sunday and sing songs, pray, listen to something, and then shoot back into the rest of life without even processing what God might be saying to us. But we need to pause sometimes. And just say, okay, Lord, what is this for me today? What do I need to take out of this? What do I need to apply? What do I need to do? What do I need to change? What are you saying? So maybe I can fire a few questions at you guys quickly. Maybe these are things you can ask. Am I imitating God? Am I following Jesus? Am I living out my new identity in Christ? And we need to think through each area of life in that. Am I walking in love and light and wisdom? What is distinct or different or Christ-like about my life? Or lastly, am I just walking like everyone else? Paul doesn't want us to waste our lives, and he wants us to understand what the will of the Lord is. So he wants us to take a look at how we're walking, where we're walking, why we're walking. And the last thing he says is walk by the Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we spend quite a bit of time on that this year, so I'm not going to spend much more. But the idea there is what are you under the influence of? Are you under the influence of alcohol? Are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God? Because there's a lot of things out there that are competing for our attention and that want to influence our lives. And Paul's saying, are you walking the way of the Spirit? Are you under the influence of the Spirit? Or are you under the influence of something else? And Paul is standing at that T-junction waving like throwing that arrow up in the air to get our attention to go a certain way and saying, walk this way as imitators of God, beloved children of him. And as I end this today, I realize that this morning is not a tick box sermon. You know, this isn't the kind of thing you can say, cool, imitate God, tick, you know, and add this to your daily to-do list. That would be so much easier than what I'm saying today. You just add, imitate God. You go into the office, Bless you, brother. Tick. Imitated God. You know, I'm good. Or walk in love. Hey, Nate, I love you, man. Tick. Done for the day. I'm good. Walk in light. Turn on the lights. Tick. I'm good to go. You know, whatever, whatever kind of works. What Paul is speaking about here isn't something like that. You can just easily tick the boxes and move on. What he's talking about is a lifelong journey in all of these things. And that makes it harder. 
He's calling us to a long obedience in the same direction, just walking for the rest of our days. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in light. I'm going to walk in wisdom, walk by the Spirit, imitate God, all of those things until the day that we die, which isn't a discouraging thing. It's an exciting journey that we are called to be part of. And really, this is what God has been doing since the beginning of time. If you go back into the Old Testament, you see God calls a man like Abraham and says, come and follow me. And he raises up a people like the Israelites. And for 40 years in the desert, they follow God. By day, they're following this pillar of cloud. By night, this pillar of flame. They are walking with God and following God. The people of God have walked with God and lived out God's ways, been imitators of God, a community that represents God to the world out there. When Jesus comes on the scene in Mark chapter 1, he says the same thing. He says to James and John, he says to Simon and Andrew and others, follow me, come, let's let's walk. Come and walk with me as I go through this life. And it's exactly what Paul is saying to each of us today. Be imitators of God as beloved children and now walk out your faith. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, and walk by the Spirit. I shared this two weeks ago, but it's a quote I love. John Mark Comer says, Discipleship to Jesus is about one simple question. If Jesus were me, if he lived in my city, had my job, my education, made my salary, had my family, how would he live? We're called to be imitators of God. Maybe that last word needs to change. How would he walk? We're called to walk the ways of God. And I think for us, Harbor City, this morning is like a bit of a, let's go back to the 90s for a second, bit of a WWJD bracelet kind of moment, you know. Like, Brendan and I were joking, we don't have a box of them in the back to give you all one this morning. But it almost is, as we leave here, just a reminder, what would Jesus do? We're imitators of him. We are walking with him. We are following him. And as we leave here today, what does it look like to walk with him into your day, to your week, into your job, into your life? You know who you are in Christ. You are a beloved child of God. Now let's imitate him. Can I ask you to stand and let's pray together? Father, I just think of the challenge of a lifelong journey, but I also think of the excitement of walking with you for the rest of our days. And I just ask you even now, Holy Spirit, to come upon us, to empower us, to highlight things in us that might need to change, that we would become imitators of you and that we would walk with you. And I just think now there is this moment for reflection. How is your walk? You know? And maybe it just is a moment where we can just say to God, I need help in this area. I need to turn around. Paul's been getting my attention. Jesus has been getting my attention. But now I need to change direction. So if there is anything this morning you realize, I haven't been imitating God in that area. Or maybe this morning I need to walk the way of love. I've been walking the way of self. Or maybe this morning it's more, you know what? Robert De Niro and those silk undies. I, I want to do that. I want that level of devotion to Jesus today. Would you just pour out your heart before God and respond in your way? And I just ask you, Lord, to meet with us where we're at, our story, our situation, and to help us follow you forward as a church. In Jesus' name.